The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. So, um, first I should check and see if you can hear me okay. It's all working okay, the volume? A little bit louder? A little bit louder. So then we'll wait and not say anything just because we want to hear if it's louder. <laughs> that doesn't work. I have to keep talking. So how's that now? Is that okay? Recently, um, I was reminded that I'm aging. And um, I reflected on how long I've been doing this meditation practice. And uh, it's been well over 40 years that I've been doing it, 45 years. And uh, it's been a great journey. And I reflected on if I was going to summarize for myself in just a few words the guiding light that comes from those years of practice, uh, something about the insights or something about uh, the, the perspective I have on life that I would like, how I'd like to live, I would summarize it in five words. If and is the one of the five. So the five words are trust awareness and love everyone. Trust awareness and love everyone. And a uh, big part of kind of the direction of mindfulness and Buddhist meditation for me has been coming to really trust the mind's capacity to be aware and in a sense to rest in that or stay close to that. And I was fairly lucky uh, that um, a reference point for me when I started meditating was that I had, um, when I was, the summer when I was 1920, I sailed across the Atlantic in a 40-foot sailboat. And uh, as, it w- as it turned out, kind of a coincidence, that at the beginning of that summer, I um, decided that it was okay to have fantasies in my mind. You know, I never, never thought about it. I was young, I hadn't thought about it, but oh, it's okay, Not, no problem. And uh, to let give free freedom to my mind to have fantasies. And so there I was, going across the Atlantic, and um, six hours a day I was on watch. And, and uh, we didn't have any automatic pilot back then. We used a sextant to find our way across the Atlantic. Primitive times compared to now. And, uh, and so we had to be at the rudder that was in rudder six hours a day, two hour shifts. And uh, one of those shifts was in the middle of the night. It was quite something to be out in a little boat in the middle of the night. 
in the middle of an ocean, just you. And um, I remember once standing there, you know, it's not that far above the water, and it's just me, myself, the tremendous stars and vast expanse. And then out of the blue, suddenly, I guess night's out of the blue, out of the dark, there was, I got slugged in my, sh- in my side of my arm. Like, who's up, who's out here? <laughs> and it was a flying fish. The, um, but what happened in those uh, going across, it was a very harmonious kind of most of the trip, except for the storms. It was, <laughs> it was pretty harmonious. You know, everything going across the Atlantic, everything's going west. The wind is going west, the currents are going west, the um, waves are going west, and the uh, jellyfish are going west. The low clouds are going west. So it's kind of like everything's going, we're going west. It's kind of and here they're at the, at the helm, and I was standing there for these hours, giving uh, my mind the freedom to have fantasies, to think whatever it did. So no restrictions on my mind. However, in order to be able to um, sail the sailboat, because um, these waves that also came going west, like we were, they were kind of big. And um, and so if you didn't really hold on to the steering wheel well, uh, the boat would not would f- kind of fall off the waves. And uh, so if you want to stay going west, you have to really stay and hold on, and and you have to you know look at the compass, and because we didn't have any automatic pilots, you have to do it yourself, and constantly every mo- every moment like you have to adjust, like driving a car down the freeway, you have to make adjustments all the time, but it's kind of second nature. But sailing, you have to make adjustments against the compass to some degree. So here I was giving freedom to my mind to do whatever it wanted to do. And every moment, every second, I don't know how often, um, I had to be present for reality. I had to ground myself in something here. And that turned out to be a wonderful combination for me. Because it wasn't like I was trying to... uh, um, let go of my thoughts. I wasn't trying to control them. I wasn't trying to censor them. I wasn't trying to do anything. The idea was to let them, just allow them to be. But at the same time, I had to, you know, be present in reality, you know, otherwise there was consequences. And that combination of freedom in the mind and being grounded continually in reality um, without feeling bad about my mind or criticizing or trying to fix it, that proved to be a wonderful combination. And um, the course of crossing Atlantic, these weeks of crossing over, um, the mind got very still and very open and very present. I felt a degree of well-being, continuous kind of well-being, kind of uh, joy that I had never felt so continuously in my life. So then soon after that, I started doing uh, Zen meditation and they told us to sit up straight and follow the breathing. And I thought, well, maybe that breathing is kind of like that compass or that you know, helm. You have to kind of... So I, so I did the same thing. I kind of let my mind have its freedom. I didn't have any idea that I should not be thinking. But I kept coming back moment by moment, whenever I could, to my breathing. And that worked relatively well for me in doing Zen meditation. 
And again, it was this combination of freedom to the mind, unrestricted qualities of the mind. But if I just, if all I did was unrestricted mental thinking, just my fantasies, you know, I probably would have ended up in a hospitalized or something. Because if, you know, if you, if you have your thoughts with no connection to reality, it's, I don't know if how long we can sustain that with that it'd be a little bit too strange. But, um, but this constant moment-to-moment kind of being grounded in the present, just connecting to, gr- to what was here, was kind of this wonderful combination I find myself doing. And then I came to uh, Vipassana practice, the mindfulness practice we do here. And the marvelous thing that I learned there was that I could still give freedom to my mind, to my heart, whatever was going on, just let it be. But I knew that I could, you know, you know, there's a certain kind of freedom. But freedom does not mean um, participating. It doesn't mean getting involved in those thoughts and reacting to those thoughts or fueling them some more, thinking them even more better, you know, or identifying with the thoughts. It just, the mind just has these thoughts. It's like, you know, like a bubble machine that, you know, is spewing out bubbles. And they come and they go. And, and, um, and so what I, what I learned in, uh, in Vipassana was I didn't have to turn away from anything in order to ground myself in the present moment, in reality. I could ground myself in the reality of my thinking. They're, they're a reality like everything else. And so whatever is happening, whether it's an emotion, whether it was physical pain, body sensations, or whether it was thoughts, whether there were sounds outside, whatever direct, whatever my mind got, was picking up, whatever my mind was involved in, was starting to do, I didn't have to go, become, go back to my breathing to kind of be centered or be, be present. I just had to turn awareness on more fully, like shining a light on, opening, the, turning the light on towards with the emotions, the thoughts, the sensations, the sounds, whatever it was. And this idea that you didn't have to turn it away from anything was very powerful for me. You didn't have to kind of turn your back on something or say, that, or, or say that's wrong or that shouldn't be there. The only thing I had to do was to turn on the light of awareness, to really be aware of it. Oh, that's happening now. But that kind of turning on the light of awareness, really be see it there, is not participating in it. It's not reacting to it. It's not getting involved in whatever it is. It's not condemning anything, but it's also not approving anything. And uh, so it's a, it's, it, is a, it is like it's very different than business as usual. Because I think for many people, business as usual is you have a thought and you get involved in it and you think it better or you think it out or you, you, re- you know, react to it or emotions, you know, it's a complicated world we live in of being involved and identified and reactive and all this stuff. So it's a radical different way of being. But what I learned in Vipassana was you didn't have to turn away from anything. And so the idea is you can just kind of, they say, wake up. So uh, in this, uh, thinking about this, I'd I'd like to read um, Mary Oliver's poem. And uh, 
Chen is a delightful little poem called The Buddha's Last Instructions. And, um, and uh, if you listen to it, uh, a couple of things you might want to just kind of register. Don't think about it too much, but just register as it comes along. Is that uh, she uses uh, the imagery of light a lot in this poem. And, uh, and the particular imagery that kind of moves through the poem is the sun rising in the morning and the sunlight, the early morning sunlight until the sun kind of is in the middle of the sky, I guess at noon. So there's kind of the growth of, of, the, of the light, the, the sunlight. And, um, and the second thing, you know, it's my interpretation perhaps, I don't know what her intention is, is um, I think of it as a metaphor for the light of awareness that she's writing about, the sun of awareness. So, she, so the poem goes, Make of yourself a light, said the Buddha, before he died. I think of this every morning as the east begins to tear off its many clouds of darkness, to send up the first signal, a white fan streaked with pink and violet, even green. An old man, he lay down between two sala trees, and he might have said anything, knowing it was his final hour. The light burns upward, it thickens and settles over the fields. Around him the villagers gathered and stretched forward to listen. Even before the sun itself hangs unattached in the blue air, I am touched everywhere by its ocean of yellow waves. I am touched everywhere by its ocean of yellow waves. No doubt he thought of everything that had happened in his difficult life. And then I feel the sun itself as it blazes over the hills like a million flowers of fire, clearly I am not needed. Yet I feel myself turning into something of inexplicable value. Slowly beneath the branches he raised his head. He looked into the faces of that frightened crowd. Make of yourself a light. There's a saying about uh, stop cursing the darkness, uh, light the candle. And so the candle, the light of our mind, of our awareness. And um, so to trust awareness, to trust the light of our capacity to know and be present and be attentive is a powerful thing because uh, the awareness that we can trust has a clarity to it or has a cleanness to it. And, uh, and what is it, this 
clean, clear awareness that it's possible to have. It's a little bit hard to define, but I prefer to define it by what it's not. It's there when uh, we don't cling to anything. We don't cling to our opinions. We don't cling to our complaints. We don't cling to needing to be right. We don't cling (coughs) to our fear. We don't cling to our suffering. We don't cling to our happiness. We don't cling to our joys. We don't cling to needing to have the world be as we want it to be. We don't cling to all kinds of things. There's the way we get entangled and caught and obsessed about things. And I associate it with um, being, you know, this movement being contracted. And there are people who want to justify being contracted because being contracted can get things done in the world. So the, the imagery that I like for it, for it is that of the fist, so the contracted fist. And um, so we get angry. We get attached to anger and sometimes it's righteous anger and we want to change the world right the wrongs. Or there's a contraction of fear. Or the contraction of hostility and hate. Or the contra- all, all these contractions. that, the mo- And the movement of trusting awareness is the movement of trusting having the hand open. And it's nice to have a hand open. The open hand can do so much more than a fist. Fist is rather limited in its repertoire. But an open hand can, you know, it has a, and then that sensitive part of the hand is available for the world. Soft, sensitive, palm of the hand. And, but to trust the open hand, to trust the mind which is not contracted around anger or fear or alarm or distress or something. And this, 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 these emotions of fear and anger and distress that arise come, with, uh, come along with sometimes a lot of authority. They come along with sometimes a lot of social um, message that we're supposed to, we should, we have to. Um, there can be an insistence in them. And sometimes insistence is quite reasonable because there's social injustice. There's People treat each other terribly in this world of ours. And so it can very seem like the right thing to do is to contract in order to defend ourselves or hide or run away. And I'm not saying that's necessarily wrong, but it is painful to do that. And it's not trusting awareness. It actually crushes awareness. Like we lose the soft part of the hand when we make a fist. We lose this, the open clarity and cleanliness of awareness when we get contracted around these states. And so I think that we can do a lot of the things we need to do in the world much better and still do them with the open hand. We can do it. It's not a call to be passive, to trust awareness. But what the open awareness does, and this is one of the great gifts for me in this practice, 
and one of the lessons that I've received for myself through doing them is that as my awareness, as this awareness that opened up and ground itself in reality, met reality the way it is, that uh, I met other people. There was a remarkable sensitivity or contact that I made uh, with people around me, a sensing, a feeling, a caring, an awareness of the people around me. And uh, it was an awareness that felt like, it wasn't intentional, but rather it seemed, felt like it was like the, as the contracted states softened, it was kind of like the crusts, kind of the crust around me kind of dissolved, or the armor that I had dissolved. And so naturally there was an awareness, an openness, a, uh, an availability to take in the world around me, the people around me. And, um, and that made a huge, that, when that started happening and doing this practice, it was a life-changing event for me. Because then, and what happened as it happened, it wasn't just, uh, it, it kind of like became a clearer and clearer to me, uh, or clearer and clearer, that um, what we have here is a we. Rather than me and you all the time as the basic paradigm to operate under, it has its value, me and you. But there was something I hadn't really understood before, and that was the we. And that sense of we arose because as the awareness opened up more, as I rested in awareness, trusted awareness more, the strong uh, contractions around self, me, myself, and mine, wasn't operating as much. And the motivation, the interest in seeing the world through this kind of narrow viewpoint of me, myself, and mine dissolved and settled away. And actually when I started seeing it operate, I could feel the limitation of that. I felt the contraction of the pain of that, to do that. And so a certain part, certain way I started to dissolve, certain way. And as that dissolved, then that didn't make any sense to have, you know, there wasn't someone here to make a boundary or a line between I'm here and you're there. And, um, and uh, but I didn't have to worry about, I found, I found, I didn't have to worry about those boundaries being, da- you know, uh, dissolving and being dangerous uh, because this non-contracted state, the, the places where I got in trouble interpersonally was not in the uncontracted states, but when I started contracting again. When I started re- reacting and responding, and that was where the dangerous, interpersonal dangers for me started to arise. And so learning to trust awareness and then in that sense of then being increasing sensitive, aware of the world around me, there started to uh, be a growing quality of love, of compassion, of caring. So trust awareness and love everyone. Not as a command, and I, you know, I'm not interested in commands like that, but rather as a description of what's possible, description of what happens. And so now, it's, those are a reference point. I'm not always there with that, but this is a very strong reference point for me in my life. And uh, you know, this is, you know, I, I use that reference point to help me see and notice 
uh, when I'm not there, when I'm caught, when there's too strong a separation between self and other, when I'm not trusting awareness, when I get contracted. And then what I learned is becomes important that you don't turn away from what's unpleasant or what's not right or the difficulties. You don't have to, you know, even let go of it. You have to just shine the light of awareness on it more clearly. Oh, look at that, I'm contracted. Wow, look at that. I'm judging those poor people. Wow, the mind has an amazing capacity, wow. And you, wow, look at that. And that wow factor, that seeing, that awareness, that's stepping away from being involved in that. It's a movement from being, no longer being invested in these contracted states without having to judge them or be angry with them or critical of them. So it's an amazingly friendly way to be with oneself. And loving everyone includes yourself. Not because you have to kind of go around and be too, you don't want to be too active loving yourself. I think that's not so good. You know, maybe it's good, but but uh, I shouldn't have said that. But <laughs> but you know, it's work. You know, it shouldn't be work. That's what I'm trying to say. It shouldn't be work. I got to get you know get this love, self love going. You know, and crank it up. It's it's there waiting for you. It's there. It's it's just there. It's there when awareness when we trust awareness when we trust this uncontracted state where we're not busy always wanting and rushing and getting and proving and defending ourselves and and uh, busy being bored or busy wanting to entertain ourselves or busy going for the next great thing or whatever it is. It's the opposite of all. It's an amazing thing to be, to rest in awareness, to rest in the present or to trust it and let it unfold. So to trust, um, so to trust awareness and love everyone. And then I wanted to read the words of someone who, I think, I don't know if trust, he would say trust everyone, uh, trust awareness. But he did say love and the importance of it. I am convinced that love is the most durable power in the world. It is not an expression of impractical idealism, but of practical realism. Far from being the pious injunction of a utopian dreamer, Love is an absolute necessity for the survival of our civilization. To return hate for hate does nothing but intensify the existence of evil in the universe. Someone must have sense enough and religion enough to cut off the chain of hate and evil. And this can only be done through love. I believe firmly 
that love is a transforming power that can lift a whole community to new horizons of fair play, goodwill, and justice. As Martin Luther King. And then this Mary Oliver's, you know, idea of this metaphor of light and dark. So Martin Luther King also wrote or spoke Darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. Hate multiplies hate. Violence multiplies violence. And toughness multiplies toughness. In a descending spiral of destruction, the chain reaction of evil Hate begets evil. Wars producing more wars must be broken or we should be plunged into the darkness of annihilation. So when I say, you know, for me that the guiding principle has been trust awareness and love everyone, I hope it's not a sentimental sentiment or, you know, something or but I think of uh, people like Martin Luther King and, you know, that this is a way of responding to the world and being in the world and changing the world. Because we certainly want to change the world. But can we change it with our open hands instead of with our fists? I think that's what interests me the most. Because that open hand of the mind, the, when the, the open hand of the heart, that's where the best qualities of who we are exist. I think those are powerful qualities that can't change. And I'm not so sure I want to live so actively or support so actively a world where what's being supported or what's being enacted or what's being exemplified are contracted hands, contracted minds, contracted hearts. So to love everyone and care for everyone and respond to the world from this good place in our hearts that we discover when we trust awareness, trust that place of not clinging to anything. And it's beautiful because, um, at least I found it quite beautiful. Um, I just see, I don't know what that's the best word. I, I think beauty, it's beautiful, but maybe other people have different words for it. But I think it's just spectacular that um, kind of awe-inspiring that um, it doesn't have to be about me. I don't have to be the one who does it. I don't have to be the one who loves. I don't have to be the one who responds and acts. It's such a relief. It turns out that the I thing is a little bit part of that contracted mode. And so, wow, I don't have to take credit and I don't have to take the blame. I just have to trust awareness and love everyone. But I can take away, I can take out the I. Just trust awareness and love everyone. It's, it's a wonderful description of uh, a settled, present, open mind, open heart.
a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful way to live. And so that's what's, what it's kind of what it's come to after 40 years. We'll see in the next 40 years where it goes from here. But uh, it's been a good, you know, it's been a wonderful time. And um, so I was reminded recently that I'm aging. And guess who else is aging? (laughs) May you trust your good awareness, your good heart. May you trust your love. And may may all of us live in a world where we care for each other. Thank you.